Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. As the Spirit moves through chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, it exhibits its power as a mechanism of destruction, but also as an implement of God's control, prompting one to submit, teaching another to bless, and causing the Lord's prophet to rejoice even from his mother's womb. The first to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke, John recognized Mary's voice as she who trusted what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now her greeting is good news in Elizabeth's ears, heralding the arrival of the Lord's words to the Jerusalemite church and the victory of Paul's Gospel. You'd better believe the kid did a little victory dance. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 44 and 45. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 441 of the Bible as Literature Podcast. Dr. Benton and I have been having a discussion about the word greeting. Initially, we were talking about the word phony, which means sound or utterance or voice. But it came down to this word Aspasmos. Now, we had a little run-in around this term earlier this year, and we decided to call it truce, but we couldn't avoid it for today's episode. The first thing I said when I read this verse is, oh, here we go, aspasmos, again. We can't avoid this. It's greeting, 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 greeting. What is it about these greetings? Why is it that the greeting is what's important? And it's the sound of the greeting that comes here and the connection between what is the sound and what is the greeting. We even had that discussion, you know, trying to pull these pieces apart, seeing what's going on with them, but ultimately focusing on how they appear in the syntax of the text itself because they don't appear independently. You know, Father Paul has been really, really reminding me a lot that I am not allowed to take a word out of the context, go and comment on it, and then come back to the text. I'm not allowed to do that. Whether the word is aspasmos, greeting, or it's theos, God, I'm not allowed to take the word out, comment, and then come back. I have to take the biblical text as the premise, and I'm only allowed to return to those premises if I want to be talking about the text. As soon as I depart from those premises, I'm talking, but I'm no longer talking about the text. I'm no longer talking about Scripture. So, always grounding whatever I have to say and subordinating it, maybe that's a better word, subordinating what I have to say to what the text is saying. And if I don't understand the text, I can't then go and say whatever I want. I either say, I don't understand the text, or 
Give me a minute because I'm going to have to figure this text out. The terminology of the author on the author's terms. Every English professor says about any paper you write, you as the one writing the paper, you are the one responsible to define your terminology at the beginning of the paper. When you hear scripture, you have to submit to Scripture's definition of its own terminology. And that's what we've struggled to hear and work with on this podcast for years. How are the authors defining their own terminology? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Hearing Luke, which is stressing the spirit and the news that Gabriel brings from Elohim, his words, that these words are the cause for John's rejoicing. That these words are the words that the Spirit is bringing through Mary to Elizabeth. And so in this sense, my initial reaction is that John is leaping because of the news of the gospel, which links the greeting to the announcement of the gospel. That's the utterance. Elizabeth is stating a piece of news. As soon as the sound of your greeting came, the babe in my womb jumped. That's all we know. So naturally, the question is, eh, what? Why would the sound of a greeting make a baby jump? That, that's normal, because it's not normal for a baby to leap when it hears the voice of some stranger he's never met before. Okay? So just in our experience, that's not what happens. Okay? That's our experience, but we need to subordinate that experience to what the text is saying. Okay. So our mind then goes to like, well, that's weird. We need to fill this in somehow. How do we fill this in? This was not the reaction of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is just reporting news. This is the reaction of John the Baptist. John the Baptist being this seed that was planted in Elizabeth, thanks to Gabriel. And the sound of this woman, this woman's greeting, is what made him leap. This is the woman who also heard the word of Gabriel, and believed in it, trusted in it. As John the Baptist was promised by Gabriel to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this spirit then is what animated him when it heard the voice of this person who herself submitted to the teaching, the message of Gabriel. So it takes a lot to bring these pieces together. And I think as people read scripture, realize where are the bumps in the road that you're running into. Because if you don't recognize those bumps in the road, your mind automatically fills it in. A 10-year-old automatically fills it in. Like you were saying, Father, you say, oh, well, it must have been because Mary appeared. No, it has actually nothing to do with appearances. First of all, John the Baptist is in complete darkness. He's in a womb. So there's nothing about appearances that have to do with anything. Did he feel the appearance of Mary? No, actually, it doesn't say anything about feeling. Elizabeth says specifically, the sound 
of her greeting. It was the voice, not her appearance, not her presence, not her aura, not her energy. It was the sound of her greeting. And we have the focus here. And so as listeners, we can't help but be brought back to the word because we're filled with this vocabulary of voice and greeting, not presence, not soul, not essence, not energy, but the sound of a greeting. And the greeting is linked to the words that follow it. The way to think about the reaction of John in the womb to the sound of the greeting, the example is that of the doorbell ringing when you're expecting something in the mail. If you order something and you're waiting for it, when you hear the doorbell ring, you don't equate the sound of the doorbell with the package that you're expecting. But you stand up with excitement and run to the door when you hear the sound of the doorbell because you know that what comes next is the thing that you care about, the thing that is important to you, the package that is being delivered. So for all intents and purposes, the sound of the doorbell is functionally one and the same with the package that you're receiving. Not the same thing, but you hear the sound of the doorbell, you get up with excitement as though it's the thing itself because what comes next is the thing itself. Now John was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. We already heard this in Luke. And it is the Spirit that is carrying this news that was delivered by Gabriel. It is the Spirit that is bringing Mary to Elizabeth. It's the Spirit that's moving from womb to womb in Luke. It's the Spirit that's the main player here in chapter 1 of Luke. But we began at the beginning of Luke with the Spirit resting on John. So why wouldn't John expect the package that comes once you hear the ringing of the doorbell? So when John hears the greeting, he's getting up because he knows what comes next. It's the words, the news that Gabriel gave to Mary in which Mary trusted. So there is a link between the greeting and the preaching of the gospel, but it's worthwhile to be precise and technical to understand exactly how these things work, because often when we're not this careful, we make assumptions that result in a mishearing of the text. As this news is happening, we have to refer back to 41, too, because it's when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary. And then in 44, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, that's when the babe leapt. So Elizabeth was also filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, in verse 41. That's how she was able to say that Mary was blessed in verse 42. So as the readers of the text we know that as soon as the sound hit Elizabeth's ears, then the baby leapt, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She, Elizabeth, was filled with the Holy Spirit. But then she has to say it again in 44 to Mary, as soon as the voice of your salutation came to me, the babe leapt 
in my womb. So it happens twice, once for the sake of us, the reader, and a second time for the sake of Mary in the story. But of course, we're the hearers of the text anyway, so it's there twice for us. Once where it happens, and a second when Elizabeth reports to Mary. Okay, we need to keep straight these different things going on because there are potentials for contradictions or things like that, and we need to pay attention to the details. But the fact that this happens twice when we hear the text, once in the moment, and second, when Elizabeth talks about the moment, this is what keeps coming back. And it's the Holy Spirit, like you said, speaking to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit hearing the Holy Spirit. There's something about the Holy Spirit being in each person being bestowed with the Holy Spirit, as the text says, not as we imagine in our dreams, but the text is saying that it's the Holy Spirit in each of them that's able to recognize these things, able to make these pronouncements, and able to make these miraculous occurrences, such as a baby leaping in the womb when it hears the sound of the one who submitted. Look, the Holy Spirit, if you haven't figured it out, we said it explicitly earlier in this series on Luke, the Holy Spirit is a mechanism of control. The Holy Spirit, in this sense, is also a mechanism of destruction because in order to establish control, it needs to tear down the things that we build to establish human control. So from where we sit, the Holy Spirit seems out of control. But from where the Apostle sits, for example, when Paul wields the Spirit in his letters. He wields it like a lightsaber. It's the sword of the Spirit in that sense. It is under his control. He controls the Spirit because he's the premise in his letters. As far as we're concerned, because he's the prophet in his letters. Here in Luke... The Spirit is controlling the show. Ultimately, Elohim controls everything. But under the aegis of Elohim, who sent his champion to announce his will, the Spirit is the one executing the will and making everything move. So you better believe that John's going to get up from his chair when the news of the obedience to the words that will soon follow is all in motion. He heard the doorbell and he got up from the couch. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. It's a loaded verse. She is blessing the one who trusted who trusted that what was spoken by the Lord the words of the Lord would be fulfilled it's loaded because this is the alpha and the omega of the scriptural system I was just preaching about this this weekend at St. Elizabeth talking about Ecclesiastes everybody misreads Ecclesiastes Because scholars always say the last section about judgment was a late addition. Because religious scholars are no different than secular scholars. They think that Ecclesiastes is something different than the rest of Scripture. 
they don't realize that Luke and Ecclesiastes are saying the same thing. That's the downfall of religious thinking. You don't want to accept that Luke and Ecclesiastes are saying the same thing because it undermines your religious thinking, that we all share one fate. Just wait till we talk about the Magnificat next week. The judgment comes at the end of Ecclesiastes because you're stuck with a closed canon. You're stuck with this bad deal, this evil situation the preacher teaches you, that we all share one fate, and there are no guarantees, and you're no better off if you do or you don't. All you're left with is whether or not you trust in the words of the prophet, whether you trust in the words of the Lord, with no guarantees, and the possibility that you will receive the outcome the wicked deserve, and the wicked will receive the outcome the righteous deserve. So Mary, do you trust in the word of the Lord, yes or no? Blessed is she who trusted that there would be a fulfillment. It is the trust. This is what faith is. This is what faith is. It is trust. It is hope against hope. It is trust in the judgment of the Lord and the fulfillment of his word. The fulfillment of what he speaks in his teaching with no guarantees. This is what Elizabeth was taught to rejoice in by the prompting of the Spirit who's controlling the narrative, Rich. This trust in what was spoken, that's really the point here, and this is why the Holy Spirit prompts Elizabeth to say that Mary is blessed. In English, it's a little bit tricky because there's no good way to say it, so the translators have to do the best they can, and say there'll be a fulfillment of those things which were told, or those things that were spoken. You have to have the things in there when you say it in English, but there's no things. It's a fulfillment for the spokens. You can't say it without what or that. A fulfillment of the spokens to her by the Lord. Because in English, the problem is that you can think there's what's spoken, and then there's a thing that was spoken. And so you can start to separate these things out into two entities, the word and the deed. But there isn't a separation in the Greek here. It's just the spokens, the have-been-spokens, even more specifically. The fulfillment of those things, and we've talked about this before, Father, about how the truth of the word— is not a truth, whether it coincides with some eternal truth or something like that. It means, is it fulfilled? Is it filled? Is there substance to these words? And her belief is what gave substance to these words for her because it made them functional for her. The Holy Spirit made these spokens functional. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.